nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Karim Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. Times ended up almost looking like a 6-3-1. Some very good writing about that on the Managing Madrid website. Frustrate podcast as well. Of course, Pere Valverde was a huge part of the equation. Hello and welcome to a Sunday edition of the Managing Madrid podcast. We are live in Madrid after leaving the Bernabeu and now we are in the home of Ewan McTeer on his sofa where we have recorded so many podcasts and we're going to do it again. Never as early as this. Usually it's after 9 o'clock kickoff or something like that and we're speaking at like 1 or 2 in the morning but this is like yeah, still afternoon. I feel disoriented a little bit because I I, I don't know what, like it's 8, 8 p.m. right now. This is when the games should normally start. Like, yeah. Not even. The game starts yeah. an hour later, yeah. usually a- an hour after this. And, and so I'm going to... We gonna... finish up and you're going back to like your place at like what? Like three in the morning or something? Sometimes. Yeah, it's, this is just a treat. And plus I'm not... I don't have a flight tomorrow morning. I, my and, flight is on Tuesday. Ah, okay. It's like, I feel like they just hit the jackpot. Yeah. Real Madrid beats Barcelona in Clasico. Sun mm-hmm. is still out. Yeah. We'll finish work early. We'll have a Sunday night... Mm-hmm. In Madrid and, you and a home Monday, Monday. Yeah. it just is, life doesn't get any that better than happen. this. So, wow, what a game to to dissect. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll start here. Ancelotti said after the game that he it felt like the Champions League nights, but yeah. on a Sunday. Yeah. And before he even said that, that's exactly what I was thinking. The energy, the um, the will, the fight, also the atmosphere, everything was, and and also the efficiency on. A low number of chances. Yeah, it was which quite, is not something we haven't had really seen since last Champions League. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it makes sense. I mean, this is you know, Real Madrid playing a bigger team, playing you know a team of the kind of you know, it's a big match like the Champions League ones we saw. But um, no, the that was a really nice quote, like most of Ancelotti's quotes are. But I think the the quote about it being like a Champions League night, it came from a question of, do you feel like the Real Madrid fans, the Bernabeu, is more connected with the team? than when you were here before and he said no no I think the fans but I think I think so I think something has happened in the last couple of years Mm, he said you know some of the Champions League nights last year obviously brought us closer together with the fans I think that's true also some of the certain characters in this Real Madrid team uh, I do think like being at the Bernabeu you were there today it's like you do notice compared to a few years ago maybe a bit before Covid maybe that has something to do with it too it does seem like there is more a greater atmosphere um, for these matches and not just talking about the final result but I think you even were already tweeting about this uh, before kickoff before they knew that it was going to be a win there was a there is a support and a love for this team that is I think unique even in this club's history mm. which is saying something um, and I don't even think the team has played that well this season yet mm. and I don't and the results are there, so that's uh, what I care about. Is the results are there and the performances are there when it re- when it matters at the end of the season. But now you just need to grind it out. But there is a support and a belief even when Rams don't play well, mm. which is not something I've seen in the past. If I'm being honest with you, just thinking back to the games I've attended, like today, there were moments where Rams made mistakes mm. and there were no whistles. Yeah. It was just applause, support. Like even even after a giveaway, they just stood up and supported. Yeah. Vinicius, who did not have a great game. Big standing ovation when he came off. Mm-hmm. 
even like it's funny like for, we have to talk about Furlan Mendy but Furlan Mendy is an oddly uh, press odd in, a, in an odd way he's a press resistant player mm. if you pressure him he keeps the ball but it's so unorthodox and awkward the way he dribbles and cuts yeah. inside and there was almost this collective like oh no he's what is he gonna do and then he gets out and then everyone's just like whew yeah. relief appla- <laughs> and, uh, an applause of relief mm-hmm. but there, I think there is something there and you know it's maybe hard to prove but yeah, I think there's something there. like how do you measure it you can't but uh, yeah. there's just a sense um, and I think Ancelotti knows it and <laughs> It's something we've seen over over these last few years. So, so after the, there's a lot of juicy things after the game. Mm, Laporta yeah. acting like Khalifi. Yeah. I'm exaggerating. I'm sure it wasn't yeah. as dramatic, but Xavi had some very interesting quotes. Mm-hmm. It's going to challenge ourselves to bring it forward and talk about the actual game. Yeah, let's start at least chronologically, yeah. and maybe we we get to some of the post match. But um, yeah, no surprises in the starting eleven. For Real Madrid, no. Um, we basically named this eleven in the one we did on Tuesday night after the Shakhtar draw, where we were talking, ah, maybe Rudiger, ah, you know, maybe Rodrigo. It would be harsh, but we all kind of know that basically it's going to be the same uh, back four as always, and that Rodrigo's the one that has to sit out, um, and that's the way it was. Um, the other doubt was his Courtois back. He wasn't. Apart from that, completely predictable. We kind of knew that. Also, it comes out so many hours before the game. The the Real Madrid lineup, but Barcelona's one I think was a mystery up until uh, it came out because is Koundé fit? If he plays, is he right back? Is he centre back? Yeah. What's the midfield? Does Frankie De Jong get to start? If he does, for who? Dembele, Rafinha, which side? And um, the Barcelona lineup was always going to be a mystery, and it was I think um, a bit peculiar in points, and I think cost them the game in, in some points because Xavi was asked in the press conference one of the, the Catalan reporters rhymed off everybody who came on and improved Barcelona it's like well why didn't all these guys start and I think Xavi was a bit mm, you know he didn't have an answer for that you know uh, Gavi why was he suddenly benched when he's been great since he started Kunde comes in why is he playing at centre back for just the second time for Barcelona when he's been used as a right back Um Mm, few questions for the Barcelona living, I thought. Well, I don't. So, the one I was I I was surprised about Frankie starting, mm. just because he hasn't been right. Yeah. Um, Kunde, you had. I was looking at. It, I was like, if he's like pretty much fit and can walk, he he has to start. Mm. In my opinion, because like you look at their backline, yeah. you look at what happened against Inter. You look at PK at his stage of his career. Yeah. There's lack of leadership. There's lack of talent right now in the back line with the injuries and stuff. At Ovo mm. not there, so I was curious to know if he's going to play yet. Like you said, center back or right back, and I was a little bit surprised it was center back maybe. But I also thought um, the biggest threat they were going to face was the Vinicius transition attacks, which yeah. I thought overall they were able to subdue. Now that could be argued; it could be a Ben Ram just didn't get him on the ball as much as they could have. A lot went through Fetty on the right side as well, whatever. Um, I mean, it is the first goal of the game. So even, it though, even though it didn't happen too much, it happened importantly enough one time. And that's that's all you need. And that's why I feel like if Kunde, you know, was there, not Sergio Roberto, is that a little bit different? You know, even because think about it this way. If, if Kunde starts instead of Sergio Roberto, it means Pique is starting. And I think maybe Xavi yeah. overreacted to the fact that basically on Wednesday, Jared Pique became a meme the hands in the air thing, you know, <laughs> but like so good. that was such just a brain fart that like the the PK performance against Inter wasn't necessarily 
oh, Piqué's past it, he's too slow, he's too this. No, apart from that, Piqué has been kind of fine. He just had one moment, which was ridiculous. But that wasn't really an identifier of a trend, I don't think. But I think Xavi overreacted to that, didn't want to play uh, Piqué. Maybe he was never going to play him in the Classical, but you mentioned there are oh, lack of talent, lack of leadership. Piqué brings those two things, to be fair. You have a um, lack of legs, but you know Koundé being in centre-back when you've got... Sergio Roberto at right back I mean I don't know I just thought from the off this was a strange one even stranger that Sergio Roberto stayed on and, and Baldi went off when I thought Baldi did a good job especially because Real Madrid actually did try and attack down the right a lot more especially first half it was about 50% of their attacks went down the right instead of uh, centre and, and on Vinicius side he did a good job I think against against Fede Valverde but if you just had Kundi on the other side I don't know if it's a little bit different but Anyway, whatever it was, Real Madrid were prepared for it because I think for them as well, they didn't know what they were going to face exactly until an hour before kickoff when when it's announced. So like, and not to turn things into the Managing Barcelona podcast, yeah. but just quickly underline it. I, I thought their lineup was fine from their perspective. Mm. Um, I, like, I, I think Frankie gives them a lot that Gabby can't. Mm. Like the way he drives the ball forward yeah. and gets them into positions quickly. And he did that. He did that. He did that. Um, and, and I don't know, like... So, again, to clarify, my perspective at the stadium is always in f- far inferior to what I'm watching at home on TV. Mm. I get the magical atmosphere, so there's pros and cons. I'm not complaining. Mm. It is, I would 100% rather be there. Sometimes I get lucky I'm sitting beside a TV. I can watch replays, mm. but today I, I wasn't. So, I had no replays. I didn't see the penalties again yeah. or the penalty, non-penalty. didn't see those replays. Even the goals, I haven't rewatched, mm. right? So, I, I don't know. But um, I the Balde thing, like mm. that... It was really tough for him to match up against Fede Valverde, who was just bullying him. Mm. And and I think um, what Barcelona weren't able to do, especially in the opening frame, and Xavi said they, they dominated the first half. I'm not sure. Xavi says a lot of things in the, in the post-game presser that was completely different to the way I saw it. Mm. But Xavi's way smarter than me, obviously. But the way I saw it was that Real Madrid led Barcelona's backline bring the ball up into their half and yeah. even pass out of the back and they were fine with that they were not trying to stop that from happening what they were mm-hmm. trying to do was to close the pedri frankie de young and their space mm-hmm. and what happened was lewandowski rafinha and dembele were trying to all play on the shoulder of the Madrid's defensive line so they were high up the pitch but there was a disconnect because when the back line brought the ball forward they couldn't necessarily get the ball to pedri and frankie in good spaces mm-hmm. and even if they could the quartet of modric cruz fede and Chuameni mm-hmm. were excellent. Yeah. Um, and I, I've already failed my own challenge of not talking about Xavi. But Xavi said something. He said, Real Madrid beat us in maturity, but not intensity. Mm. And I'm like, how can you watch Fede and Cruz, who was not only unbelievable offensively, but it was also unbelievable on defense, had a game mm. high in tackles, was everywhere, was tra- tracking in transition. That's not even a strength of his, but he was doing that as well. Uh too many, I thought, did pretty well to close Pedri's space. Militao was amazing marking Lewandowski. Mm-hmm. Ancelotti spoke about that after the game. That intensity, if that's not intensity, I don't know what is. I don't know yeah. if Barcelona outmatched Real just intensity in that front. I don't know what your thoughts on that, if you saw it differently, but the way I saw it, I was like... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a classical. It's like the one thing that like you can coach you can be a coach in a classical and the one thing you don't have to worry about is intensity it's a classical everyone's intense everyone's running like more kilometers than they run every other game of the season 
it, the Classical has never won on intensity. Both teams are intense. It's won on different things. Tactics, maturity, experience, which honestly I think was a factor in this game. Yeah. This was a Real Madrid team that, you know, apart from Germany, was experienced in Classicals. They know what they're doing. Even the young players have played yeah. four, five, six at this point. You look at Barcelona, you had, especially that back line, Koundé's first Classical. Um, you had Eric Garcia, only his third. Balde's first Classical. You know, even further forward, Kat, Pedri, you know, young guy, Rafinha, first classical, Lewandowski, first classical. These are, you know, Lewandowski is a, a veteran, but still, it's like this is first very... official classical. Well, yeah, well, I don't know if we're counting. I don't, but you know, you were there. There was, yeah. it's, it happened. Um, but, it existed yeah. um, before he was actually registered with Barcelona, so maybe this really is his first um, classical. But yeah, I mean, players who, for whatever reason, they're young or they just arrived, their first classical and. It's like no other game in the world. You know, you can play Bayern Munich, Dortmund, or you can play any game. You can play, like, World Cup, quarterfinals. Semi- These players have played big games, but, like, mm, the classical is different. And until you're there, until you go to the Bernabeu, until you know what to do, mm, I think it's difficult. And Barcelona, over the years, last decade or so, even after Guardiola, have had good results at the Bernabeu. But I think partly because for players like... Messi, Iniesta, some of these guys, it was almost automatic. They know we go to the Bernabeu, we've lost here, we've won here, we are not phased, we're not, we can visualize what a win would be like, we can visualize what a defeat would be like. These players don't know this. And I think the experience maturity for Real Madrid really did help because you have players who were there when they won 2 0 before COVID, and you have players who lost 4 0 in, in March. You know, the lack of experience in the lineup surprised me as well. Going back to some of the the doubts I have with Xavi's lineup, some of the other options he could have went for, PK, for example, is like, maybe you need someone like that just, you know, because of the intangible he brings. Um, so no, I think maturity, for sure, that was a correct assessment. I think Madrid were more mature. I 100% agree with that. I also think it's it's not even just the experience in Classicals that these mm. players had on the Real Madrid side. It was also the experience in the Champions League at home. These Champions League kind of which games, yeah. undoubtedly enters the subconscious. Like, you know that when, when Ferran Torres scored, mm. it's 2-1, they almost score again to equalize. Mm. In that moment, Real Madrid has been to that scenario before. Yeah. Many teams could just fold and concede. Mm. But, you know, there was no sense of panic. I, and I think that even the Champions League experience also factors into a game like this, mm. I think. So... Um, I, I think we got to talk about Tony Cruz. Mm-hmm. The goal, we can, it starts with the goal, right? I think it yeah. was like around the 12th minute or something. Yeah. Perfect start because it's Benzema who scores. If mm-hmm. anyone needed a goal, it was him. True. Scored another offside goal, which again, I assume it was offside. I don't have any replays because there nah, was no was. bar check. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, uh, But he didn't know that. Like He yeah. really didn't know that because you yeah. saw how much he celebrated. Yeah, he and really, no no, no other player joined him. He really, yeah, everyone else knew, <laughs> yeah. but he, he thought he was onside. But no, the goal, obviously, like it starts with, basically with Cruz. Um, and yeah, you picked up on this where Xavi said, you know, we should have made a foul, a foul. there. And you said, they well, tried. they did. They but tried. He still managed to put it to Vinicius. And what we talked about, the exact scenario, I think every Real Madrid fan woke up this morning hoping for, and every Barcelona fan woke up, Dreading was Vinicius with space against Sergio Roberto. Against Sergio Roberto. Sergio Roberto kind of nowhere to be seen. The rest of the defence almost nowhere to be seen. They get back, the other defenders. But by the time the rebound comes off Ter Stegen, mm, nobody's with Benzema. They're all ball-watching. They're all on the line. To be fair, they were a bit unlucky. Deflection almost, almost is cleared off the line, blocked. 
But still, you rather than put three guys on the line, you need to just put someone in front of Benzema's face. Nobody does that. Busquets is nowhere to be seen as a defensive midfielder, and it's just the kind of goal that really you could see coming, like this morning when you wake up thinking about this game. It was exactly what we had said. That's where Bar- Barcelona are vulnerable. Here's what's interesting, and before we get to Cruz, I guess, there was a sense at halftime, because at halftime it's 2-0. Mm. A lot of Real Madrid fans were like, if we don't give them the manita today, mm. we we ca- like we have to we have to pad it. We mm. have to pad pad the stats. Angela was asked about this after the game. Mm. Would you have preferred like a like a four nil revenge? Yeah, I was know? writing about this actually. Because, yeah, yeah. I um, saw your quote. Yeah. Um, no, your, and then, article, but also it's not up yet. But um, well, we can talk about that after the after the. Oh, your three part. three questions. Yeah, which is not yet. I but saw, about yeah, yeah. about the sort of because I was surprised about. Well, let's talk about it now. I was surprised actually in the press conference that the Real Madrid journalist kind of. Uh, feeling was oh that's great but like we could have won this 4-0 or 5-1 and it's like it's a classical win but then I looked at it so I looked the last time Real Madrid won a classical by more than two goals was 2008 since then Barcelona have won six classicals by, by more than two more goals more than two goals so, yeah. okay. so and even then there's a few free ones or two nils for Real Madrid not that many Barcelona have won you know a couple of four nils three nil five one these kind of things and I was like no come on classical all you want is a victory and then thinking about it actually like I mean you're a Real Madrid fan you maybe think about this like maybe as a Real Madrid fan you do think like we need one they've they've when they, when Barcelona's won it would be nice classicals sometimes they have won it in a big way like the last one and maybe there is a, a longing for Real Madrid fans to to have a big goleada as they say uh, Ancelotti was like no let's not be ridiculous we just want to win and I think that mentality is what leads you to actually win um, if you try and do the big win maybe you end up costing it by you know being too ambitious um, I, I know that was it was strange but you were saying at half time there was a sense of well to, but continue that train of thought because mm. you wrote you wrote the post game quotes Ancelotti's mm. response to that mm-hmm. was that um, yeah, we're it, not we're not exactly. we don't need goleadas or revenge yeah. we just need three points yeah he this said, is... yeah, because uh, Xavi put it this way as well. We only lost three points. Ancelotti was like, yeah, we uh, we won three points and they lost three points. So it's a six-pointer for a reason. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let me find exactly Wait. what he said. He said um, uh, he was asked if uh, Real Madrid took their foot off the gas, if they should have gone for another 4-0, like for a 4-0 of their own. He said, no, we didn't take our foot off the gas we just think about winning matches, not thrashing teams. Right. We've yeah. taken three points for us, also three points off our main title rival. It's a long season, a lot of matches. Obviously, we're happy. It's like that's the mentality, I think, that actually leads you to win. If you go in trying to win by like four goals, that doesn't get you that performance, I don't think. Yeah, so so a couple of things. One is that if you zoom out and look at the whole game and talk about goleadas and stuff, the reality is Real Madrid... It wouldn't like this is not the game that Real Madrid deserved to win four or five nil. Quite mm. frankly, the XG was like pretty much neck and neck one one something against one something. Mm. Real Madrid did not have that many chances to have a route. Mm. They didn't. And the second thing is that I think that's part of where the frustration comes because that chance, the the Benzema goal, where Vinicius has a ton of space to go through, we didn't have enough. We didn't have many of those. No. And I think some of the fans' frustration was like. Why can't we just have like five of these breakaways instead of one? You see how Barcelona are vulnerable in this situation. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I suppose that kind of goes hand in hand with Xavi's philosophy, whether it's right or wrong, 
and inflexible. I would I would word it as this was a huge pregame thing too. Ancelotti was saying, you know, no. we, we don't we're not married to one way. That's a whole different thing. But uh, Javi's philosophy, be it right or wrong, is like, yeah, we're gonna have we're gonna be vulnerable, but when we have more of the ball, it's less chance for the opponent to attack us. So this is how we defend, right? Mm. And so I see that side of it too. But I do think Real Madrid fans were frustrated just in the sense that they're happy for the W, but they were like, can we get more of these? Can we punish them more? Especially when it's 2-0, like you'd expect Barca to open up in the second half, you get more mm-hmm. of them. There wasn't much of that. Um, so I, I, I guess I'd be curious to know what the kind of the flow was in the second half. But yeah, the XG pretty much, Real Madrid in the second half didn't do much. There was a Benzema yeah. offside goal, which was a nice build-up, but it was offside. But mm. second half was pretty uneventful offensively, all things considered. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, all right, so, Cruz. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I exaggerated or if it's recency bias, probably a bit of both, or because I was there and I witnessed it. I thought it was one of the greatest performances I've ever seen Tony Cruz play. And that actually may not make any sense. I don't know. Because when you go and look at his statistics, nothing really stands out. Like, it wasn't like, you know, it's not mm. like he had 10 key passes. And uh, I didn't I didn't check much. But he had five tackles, which is a, another game high, I believe, which is a trend for him. He's, his defense has been amazing. That's not something he's known for. Mm. I just felt like at the way he was playing, he was, like, transcending the field. Every single touch was perfect. Didn't matter if there was three, four Barcelona players swarming him. He would just duck his shoulder, evade the press, play a beautiful switch, play a beautiful through ball. I just at one at, at at any given point during the game, if he just started levitating into the sky, it would have been like, yeah, that makes sense. He's not human. Yeah. I thought it was an incredible Tony Cruz performance. I was thoroughly impressed. Uh, as I told you, I after finished. Um, some of the writing work I ran down I was hoping there was a mix zone so I could catch Tony and talk to him mm. there was no mix zone because I, I didn't realize there was no mix zone but I would have loved to have speak, spoken to him and uh, just un- an unbelievable performance from Tony Cruz no like yeah we're talking about the goal almost because that's like the one maybe highlight moment he had but you're right it's not really about his passing the build up to the goal it's uh, all the little things he did the tackles won the passes just keeping things going you know, Real Madrid, I think, brought the ball out quite well. Barcelona pressed fairly well, but Real Madrid did a good job of, of bringing it out. And Cruz was key to almost every single one of those. Um, these are the things that are never going to make a highlight real. But, yeah, it was exactly what Real Madrid needed. Um, especially Chouameni in his first Clásico. It's so much easier to go in your first Clásico when you have Cruz and Modric next to you. Not so much when you're going in your first one and you have Sergio Roberto and Eric Garcia in the case of Kunde. So... Um, yeah, Cruz was just everywhere, perfect, and uh, yeah, one of the, yeah, like you say, one of his best perform. I don't know, like, he's had a lot of good performances. Well, that's years, why I said, you know, you know I, I'm sure there's an element of recency bias and exaggeration on my part. I'm just, but I was just floored by his performance. Mm-hmm. I thought it was amazing. Um, so, and, uh, and the midfield in general, they were like the engine. They were the oxygen of the entire team because the way the game was unfolding... You needed pretty much foot perfect defending, and it was for large stretches. Like every time Barcelona got like you know into space, the convergence and blocking shots mm. at the top of the box in the box, it was a lot of that heroism we would see in the Champions League. Right, it was mm-hmm. just converging and and snuffing out space, and also just the ability to escape the pressure. Because 
the Barcelona didn't have many noteworthy counter-pressing sequences in the first half. It wasn't until Pedri had a couple, I think, like later in the half, but it wasn't... We, I thought, and Ancelotti himself said, we, we did really well to escape the pressure. And mm-hmm. I think that was that was pretty important. But the way that midfield functioned as just kind of the two-way engine mm. was was impressive. And I thought Cruz was important. You know, when you see Modric play like this in like in this game and also every big game, like, yeah, you're... How could you bench him for mm-hmm. any for yeah. you know for a game like this? You yeah. know, give him rests and for the other games. But in a no, game this like is this, still the Gala Living yeah. minus Courtois. Obviously, like this is the team for the big big games and for the big big games. Fede Valverde's position is right wing. It's not midfield. Some other games, perfect for these big games. He goes there because you need to have uh, Chris Modric and Chouameni as your your starting three. It's that was there's no doubt about that. You mentioned Courtois. What was your assessment of Lunin? Today. I mean, like, he was good, he was fine. Like, again, it's more the crosses into the box. Barcelona didn't do that that much. Um, I thought it was a bit strange. Um, <laughs> but the shots, most of the shots he faced were not particularly difficult. Um, a few early long-distance ones from Barcelona to test him, exactly as they should. Uh, he passed that. Um, yeah, I think he was he was absolutely fine. Like, the, his problem was um, in the passing game, which is not necessarily something we think um we think of when we speak about Courtois that you know his ability with his feet is passing game but when he's not there you realize actually that Courtois is a bit better with his feet than maybe he's given credit for because when he's out and Lunin is in you see a few um, wayward passes go out for throw-ins rushing it a little bit um but in terms of his overall performance I think for a classical what more could you could you ask uh, of Looney nothing on on the goal that he could do either? So you know. So um, there was a moment where I was writing notes. Barcelona. I think it may have been just after Lewandowski misses the open net. Mm. Was how big of a chance was that actually? That, that was huge, but he was offside, so I don't really know um, why everyone was ah. So that inf- about that it so much. if it was offside, that inflates her xG. A well, bit. yeah, I'm, I think that it was counts. huge on the xG. I think it counts, but it would have go, one, gone two, back six, for seven. this is the one from a yard or two out. It's yeah, right here, almost going right in the roof of the net. Yeah, so if you take that out, what's that? Zero point three eight. Point three six. I think three six. Yeah. Um, if that had gone in, I think VAR is going in really mad out from offside. That was um, so that was. Like in the coverage, they kept talking about this, but yeah, but that's great. But like, it didn't really happen. Like as much as the Benzema, if you that's take out, I didn't know that. If you take out the Benzema goal, then take that out of your like XG and, and things like that too. Yeah. So um, yeah, that was a huge chance. Obviously, like I don't know how he misses it, but then it's like almost all. It, he's really stretching for it. You know, fair enough. Like it's we would all miss it too. It's not one of the one where it's like oh my grandmother could score. No, this was actually okay. a little bit harder than it than it looks. Like to even get to, most people can't get to, he gets to it and it's almost going straight in the roof of the net just over. That's fine. So right when that, when he misses it, yep. I put my head down to just take some notes that, would, that was happening and then I hear the burnabout groan and I mm. look up and Barcelona have the ball even though it was mm. our goalkeeper. I was like, what yeah. happened? Did Lunin give the ball away? I think that was the one, one of the ones where it went out for a throw-in, yeah. Okay, so... Um, and, and so... Which I think happened a couple of times. There were a couple of ones where he kind of played the poor pass and Barcelona get it in midfield. And there was a few... And there was, I think, one point, like... Uh, I can't remember who it was. I think it was Alaba went over to him and said, look, let's... At this point, number one, they had the lead and just take your time a little bit more. Like, I think Lunin wanted to get the pass out there before Barcelona were set. But to be honest, one of the... The good things about Barcelona, one of their strengths is they get set marking players really quickly. So whether you 
play it in five seconds or thirty seconds. Like take your time. It's okay. Like they're winning as well. So yeah, um, he got better actually in the second half with that as well. So well, I, it's funny because I was everything in my notes about Lunen up until that point was like his distribution has actually been pretty good. His mm. numbers weren't bad either. I think it was like eight of eleven long balls. I, I don't mm. know what it was. I would disagree with that. I think his distribution was well. Was, was up until that point, uh, okay. it was, and then and then I saw that happen, and then. Um, what was interesting is that Benzema sprints all the way back mm. to our own box and Cruz follows him and they just they just telling Luna like Ah, they told him as well. Yeah, right, they okay, were like yeah. just relax, slow it down, there's no rush with yeah. these goal Yeah, kicks. I think exactly what Alaba yeah. was saying, yeah. Yeah. So uh it was just an interesting thing to note. Um that Lewandowski chance, it comes through a decent phase from Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Where they're starting to like Pedri starting to break lines a little bit. Up until that point, Rafinha and Dembele had zero efficiency. Nothing was they weren't able to get past Mendy mm-hmm. and Carvajal. Lewandowski was isolated, and but then that it shifted a little bit. And I think there was just as with like almost any classical, there's waves of momentum for both mm-hmm. teams. I think Real Madrid started better, and then Barca had a period in the middle of the first half where they grew into the game. Real Madrid also scored the second goal, kind of. They broke the momentum with the yeah, right goal. about then, yeah, yeah, like um, yeah, yeah. So, um, do you what do you remember from the second goal? I mean, like it looks different. It's not exactly the image I think Real Madrid fans were dreaming of. The get the ball to Vinicius in space, but it's actually quite similar. Of Vinicius is really central, but it Carvajal as well gets to Vinicius in space in their half, and it's not Vinicius on the left wing like everyone expects him to be, but he's in the middle. There is space, and he. Is able to start the move. Real Madrid are patient, and again, um, Busquets is nowhere to be seen, and you leave Valverde free at the edge of the area where Busquets should be, and Valverde this season at least is going to finish that chance, and and he does. So I, when I saw him just teeing up free at the top of the box, I was like, yeah. you know, he's been hitting the crossbar from like forty yards contested. You give him that much space. Yeah. I just knew like that was going in. There's, yeah. there's, he's, he's, he's hitting, you know, hitting that. I mean, his, his leap continues to be incredible yeah. offensively. Just and I found a, I was writing about him in classicals. I found a stat about him. So he loves so fourth goal in a classical for him. Um, he's scoring a goal every two hundred three minutes of classicals. <laughs> I love it. He's scoring a goal every one thousand one hundred forty minutes against any other opponent. So like, at least like five times more likely to score in a classical than any other game is Fede Valverde, which small sample size, scored 11 goals in his Real Madrid career, but three of them have been against uh, Barcelona and big ones too. Like there was the, the last one was the the Supercopa semi-final, extra, I think it was the extra time one he scores, which was the winner, I guess. Yeah. Um, or at least the... So this uh, is his third one, you said? Third one? I, I don't know what the other one is. I think no, he scored the, 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 In the camp, no, he makes a run one. in the right half space. I yeah. remember it very clearly. Like, yeah. Like a couple years ago, yeah. Um, so he has 11 Real Madrid career goals. Yeah. How many of them are this season? Mm, five. Yeah, he's... Um, it's This is, this is going to be one he's of He's halfway to Ancelotti's. Remember, Ancelotti set the target like almost for himself. Like, if I can't get uh, Fede Valverde to score 10 goals in the season, I'm a bad coach. Remember he said that? Yeah. Or I should give in my license as being a coach. Well, we're not even halfway through the season. Valverde's halfway there to that 10-goal target. I have to say, I you know... I remember the after the classical last year, the which, four. Nil, which one? Okay. I was so critical of Ancelotti, mm. and and I I've said this many times. 
I don't want anyone else to be managing this team. Until this run ends, whenever the magic mm. ends, and it, then that happens. That we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But right now, the way he's unlocked so many players mentally and also getting the best out of Fede, getting the best out of Vinicius, mm. he's, it's been an incredible, mm. uh, incredible job as a manager that he's done. And, and so while there are flaws and stuff, yeah, there are. But uh, what he's doing now is unbelievable. Just the way he also manages navigates the press conferences, navigates some mm-hmm. of the decisions, also with tactical wrinkles. He was talking about today, like, I think someone asked him about man-marking, right? Mm, yeah, um, like, if Militao was asked to man-mark yeah. Lewandowski. And he was just like, no, but it looked like it. <laughs> but he was but, like, no, all we told him was, like, Militao was supposed to be more aggressive with Lewandowski, and Alaba was supposed to keep the line a bit more. Yeah. Um but I love that way that he can just be honest as well and be like, no, we didn't tell him to man mark, but like, I can see why you would think that because it looked like it. And, you know, he's he's always going to be honest, I think. Like, I think he is one of the most honest coaches in, in his press conferences. Almost too much that, like, you can tell when he's, like, sort of lying a little bit to try and throw off the opposition manager and it's he's not a good liar. But, um, but that also actually, I think, reminds us sometimes, like, mm, you could watch the game and see Militao kind of man-marking Lewandowski and you can draw a conclusion. And I think it's always important when we're talking about our analysis of the game not to always say Militao was told to man-mark Lewandowski. And always, it looks like this because you never know what the actual instructions were. And in this case, it that wasn't the specific instruction. It's just um, it really looked like it. Um, and, yeah, uh, Angelotti in his press conferences is just... 10 times more interesting, insightful, educational than Zidane was, which was uh, quite dry. Well, Zidane, I'm sure in his brain it was, yeah, it was yeah, magical, same, right? Same, but it was yeah. just about the the in, the intent to verbalize it, and he had no interest in talking. No. In, yeah. So, uh, yeah, the Militao thing was interesting because, yeah, as, as you said, he said that, you know, we basically didn't tell him to man mark, but be more aggressive and Alaba just make sure it's organized the line is organized and make sure your zones are covered which is ironic since Alaba had the most aggressive action on Lewandowski in the game with the that's right the elbow that yeah Um, between Militao and Chuomeni I thought they really took care of Lewandowski Mm -hmm. and it's you know no one really truly takes care of Lewandowski. Lewandowski is going to get to his spots. He's going to do good things. I thought he did actually some good things in the build-up to... In, in Barcelona's build-up, even though he didn't score or whatever. But they contained them as about as well as you can contain yeah, Lewandowski. He's still going to get like chances, you know, and it's... Sometimes you can't judge a defender on whether Lewandowski scored against you or not. It's how many chances did you limit him to? And did he have a good day or a bad day? He had a fairly poor day in this one. That's partly the defender's not giving him too many chances, but he's always going to get chances too, and then it's just up to the coin flip. Does he take them or not? He obviously got the the little back uh, back flick for for Ferran's goal, so you know, like. Um, but of course, if you can take away fifty percent of Lewandowski, then that is fifty percent of Barcelona this season. So that was that was enough. But yeah, you're right to speak about Germany because he did so well, and when you look at average positions as well, he was like so deep at some points, like just. But not necessarily because um, he was forced to. I think he just, you know, really helped out Alaba and Militao and um, was just everywhere and could also get forward when when he had to be. So um, it was good. Well, back to Militao for a second too. I thought 
especially in the first half. There was some in the second half too where he was just need, needlessly on the ball, dabbling a little bit, giving mm. it away, not comfortable with the pressure. But defensively, I thought he was pretty much perfect. Mm. Just the way he steps up and intervenes, intercepts balls, coming out of the back, aggressive in that manner, but calculated. He's always been... His aggressive nature in that sense rarely costs the team because he almost always gets those the timing of those interventions correctly. Yeah. And he was awesome. Got It has to be said. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's such a luxury that you can just have that and then yeah. Rudiger comes off the bench. Yeah. I mean, that's unbelievable. Um, what else? Yeah, I think so. Rudiger... I tried to find a replay to go back enough to see this, but I think it's Rudiger that wins the ball for the move that leads to the third goal, like the penalty. Mm. Um, he's only on the pitch for to close the game out, to defend, but I'm pretty sure it's Rudiger wins the ball back, the move starts, but all the replays I've seen so far at least don't go back that far to... Yeah, they show you Rodrigo scoring or they, they show you the, the foul, but they don't go that far back. But Rudiger, again, just coming on... Really, I think as a wing back. Really, yeah, um, yeah. For Carvajal, really, I think um, uh, winning over the Real Madrid fans. I think it sounded like through the broadcast that when he came on, it was like, yeah, like he has everyone appreciated what he did. There's a his, Rudiger cult, his bloody, um, and it's very inclusive. Everybody uh, loves him. A contribution on Wednesday, so yeah. Um, how did the mask look? I again, I didn't see. I could all I saw was from. Distance looks scary, looks scary. Yeah. Looked, um, it's just like the Chelsea just, one he wore, I guess, right? Mm, I think it was a bit different. Uh, mm. I think it was a different injury that this was more just to prevent the cup from opening again. Yeah. I think the last one was like a fracture, but mm. um, but yeah, like to go on the classical with a mask and see that out is like honestly, I don't think people understand how like difficult it is to play with one of these masks just for like your eyes. I can't imagine, for, like you know, it's mm, I can't even sit down wearing a mask because yeah. I can't even see what's like who's sitting next to me. Yeah, <laughs> <It's> so <laughs> like, I can't imagine what it's like to be exactly. playing with so it. So to come on at your first classical and like you know make a contribution, um, yeah, like he did, he did great. And I think um, Rodrigo, I guess, is we've kind of at various points gone through the whole starting lineup more or less, praised them all. We're starting to do the subs now. Rodrigo, I guess we should we should speak about because he did exactly what he was supposed to do. There was a point I was thinking, maybe Rodrigo actually doesn't get on, which I think will become a big talking point and a drama, but it shouldn't be. But the idea of Rodrigo not starting was, number one, someone has to not start. Yeah. And number two, he's a great player to bring on if you need a goal. Real Madrid didn't need a goal. It was 2-0, still at this point, even 2-1. He comes on and <laughs> he gets them a goal. He wins a penalty, he takes it. Um, here's a stat. Have you... Rodrigo taking the penalty. What did you think when he's like? Who did you think was taking the penalty? Did Rodrigo obviously wins it, but who did you think? Because Benzema's off at this point. Mm, Modric, I think, is off at this point. Who did you think was going to take it? Honestly, from the players who were on the field, it would have made sense that it was Rodrigo. Mm. So he takes it. He was the youngest player to take and score a penalty in a classical for wow. over a hundred years. What? Since Do we know who the guy was? The last time was 1916. Um, 1916. What? Guess who... So Santiago 20, Bernabeu? Yes. Wow. Rodrigo, 21 years old, is the youngest player, I think second youngest in classical history since Santiago Bernabeu in 1916, I think, when he was 20. Stat. So over 100 years ago. Um, that's an unbelievable stat. And I was like, okay, that's a cool stat. That's like nice trivia. I was like, actually, that's significant too because it's like... Basically, it's saying mm, neither Barcelona nor Real Madrid trust players that young to take a penalty in a Classico because that's like one of the most nerve-wracking moments 
other than like a penalty in like a World Cup Champions League final. Like that is, um, even at this, you know, you're winning 2-1, it's kind of to close the game out. But even still, you miss that. Stegen almost gets there. If he saves it, Barcelona go up the other pitch. They have a momentum. Real Madrid are a bit all over the place. Maybe it's 2-2 and you're the, the villain of the, the defeat, you know. Uh, a lot of pressure and uh, um, a little bit lucky, but he scores it and um, he won it. Takes it, scores it, and makes a bit of history. Well, what's interesting is, I don't know if you guys caught this on TV, but this is one of the advantages I, I mm. finally have over you, over anyone who's watching <laughs> at home. Is uh, As soon as the VAR review happens, mm. the referee runs to the screen, Rodrigo just picks up the ball and starts walking to the penalty spot. Ah, right, before yeah. it's like yeah. confirmed. Ah, yeah, okay. before it's confirmed. So, ah, so like, you knew who was taking it because you saw... Well, I the... knew, but also like... Because I was, when they were looking at it, and this was... There were many decisions, if, buts, maybe. This was, to me, one of the clearest ones was, like, that's a foul. As long as he's onside, which actually is one of the more grey areas, but as long as he's onside, that's a foul. So you're kind of like, okay, this is, the referee has to go over and look, and this will take about 30 seconds. And at, at that moment, I'm thinking, right, so when we get back onto, like, uh, the taking of the penalty, I was like, but who's going to take it? Like, maybe Rodrigo, he won it, but I'm not seeing at this point that he's holding yeah. it. The ball. Well, he just he doesn't even consult with anyone. He mm. just picks up the ball and walks away from every yeah. everyone else who's like in the middle of the field. Just fair enough, because like who else? Asensio was on the pitch. Like who? It's like no, there's not that many strikers really. on the pitch at that point. So it would have give it to un- him. unless it's Cruz, Cruz or Alaba. Well, Verdi was still on. Yeah, but Al- yeah, Alaba could. Uh, but but Rodrigo yeah. made sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so what is this about Laporta going to the locker room after the game? Uh, yeah, so or to the is, referee's locker room? Yeah, it's like officially in the referee's um, act, I guess. Like, acta, I don't really know how you translate that. Like, act of the game, I guess. Minutes or whatever. Yeah. Um, they always have a bit, like, other incidents. I think in the classical, the other incidents bit is usually a bit more filled than uh, most other games. But yeah, Laporta went down to the referee's dressing room in the Bernabeu, which is, like, right between, like, the... The, the changing rooms, this little room that they have, and um, he went in there to complain about multiple actions. Um, he was told to leave, and he left without any further incident, is what the report says. Um, you mentioned it a little bit like um, like Al-Khalifi with PSG did that one. T- it's like, it's <laughs> yeah, never it, it's a good a, look. It's, it's a watered-down version of that, but it's still not a good look. It's not a good look. I never understand why they do this. And, like, I understand sometimes coaches in press conferences putting pressure on referees, complaining about decisions to hopefully get something back. But a president doing that is never going to win you favour with the referees. It also Even, it serves no purpose. No. It's an emotional decision that yeah. serves no purpose. That's the thing. I think it's an emotional decision. is an emotional guy. Um, yeah, I mean... I don't know. There was I a... didn't even know this happened until somebody asked Ancelotti. I was like, Laporta did what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know about this. But uh, what is he? I'm assuming so. He's complaining about Rodrigo's penalty and then the the non penalty that Barca did. See, didn't I get. don't know. Like the Carvajal Lewandowski incident. There was there was like three or four incidents in the game that were like very very grey. But to the point that like you can't be angry either way because. So the first one I think is the Alaban Lewandowski elbow in the face, which I think like all the Spanish refereeing experts agree. If that's inside the penalty area, that's a penalty and a yellow card. That's like an elbow in the face that's pretty bad the question is is it inside the box and I've watched the replay a few times and it's like I think it is inside the box I think it's on the line which is inside the box mm-hmm. very narrow for VAR to work that out 
is really hard because they're not going to start drawing like offside lines almost to like work out if he's in the box. That's not happening. So is it clear and obvious error? No, you play on. Then the other two incidents, yeah, I think it's the Lewandowski, Carvajal and Lewandowski, which to me, I think it was a penalty. Then you have the Rodrigo, uh, Eric Garcia on Rodrigo, and I think it was a penalty. I mean, I don't really think these influenced the game. You also think about the if Lewandowski gets the penalty on Carvajal at that moment, it's only six, seven minutes before their actual goal. Maybe they score a bit earlier, but that doesn't mean the scoreline is 2-2. You score a penalty, the whole game changes because it's suddenly a kickoff from centre circle. The whole the butterfly effect, the whole sure. game changes. Yeah, yeah. Mm, where Barcelona going to score a second goal? I don't know. So I don't really think there's there's too much to complain about. The Rodrigo one was clear. There was a question mark of offside, which I don't think Laporta seen, but this was a natural... Uh, Tejado was like one of these like Spanish um, graphic designers turned VAR gurus and basically pointed out that they drew the VAR line wrong because they measured it from Rodrigo's uh, feet when his head and knees were further ahead and then it's offside before the penalty but these are all things that like you can't be that angry about at the referees because they're all not clear and obvious errors I don't think all of them you can blow the way they were blown or blow the other way and it's perfectly the referees are not going to be reprimanded by their bosses afterwards. So, I don't really think there was... There's always going to be controversy in a classical when there's like 50-50 decisions, and I think there were about three or four 50-50 decisions, but the referee ruled some in favour of Real Madrid, some in favour of Barcelona, this, that, it's, you know... You certainly can't be angry at the main referee um, when you're the president, because he's not the guy drawing the offside line, like, he's not the guy being told or not to go and review certain incidents or not I don't know uh, I don't really understand Laporta doing that and I think it looks bad in Barcelona and it's, it's not going to help them win favour with referees going forward so um, a bit ridiculous but classical gets the best of, of everyone well I don't have much to add to what you said again I'm, I'm really without replays I saw the photo of um, the stamp on Rodrigo was Eric Garcia. Yeah, I mean this is so clear. Like people were clear. even debating like whether that was a a foul or not. I was like, no, that that that's a penalty. Like the only doubt with that one was was Rodrigo inside. Um, yeah. Before, but the I foul saw, is yeah. like it's like you cannot stamp. You can't just stamp on someone's foot. Like what are we um, talking about here? But you know, yeah. Um, Carvajal yeah. also kind of fouled Lewandowski. Like you know, so. I get why some people are mad, but um, you can't be mad at the referee. The referee, I don't think, made a mistake, even if, which both things can be true. The referee, I don't think, made mistakes in these decisions, even if he could have also blown the other way and that would still be legitimate because there's so many grey decisions in football and there was a few of them just happened to be all in one game. bit unlucky for the referee. If you're refereeing a classical, which I can't imagine, you kind of hope for um, the few grey area decisions as possible. Just unlucky for him that there was a few um, in one game, and you know that can happen. I'll have to uh, tomorrow. I have Churrosi tacticas with Diego, so I'll have See to see what he uh, sees about. I, I'm I'm sure that he will uh, have uh, the entire reel of. Uh, he probably mistakes. will. He yeah. probably will. But. So I'll have to brush up on that. Um, where does this leave in the for the? Does this mean anything for the title race? Obviously, it means something because it's a six point swing. Uh, winter champions yeah. statistically could be, have... could be more likely to be winter champions well, that's a bit weird this year because mm, like we were talking about if you as long as you're top on like the second week of November you're winter champion um, yeah, yeah um, it was 
it was so much talk of going into this game of oh, Barcelona first, Real Madrid are second. Like, not, they're really not. Like, they're both level on points. Barcelona's ahead on goal difference, but at the end of the season, it's not goal difference that decides it, it's head to head. So, Real Madrid are now three points ahead, and they have a good advantage already in the head to head. To lose that advantage, they'd have to lose by two in the in the Camp Nou. So, yeah, Real Madrid, huge victory, huge statement. I tweeted this before the game. Next game is Elche away. Like, do not be surprised if Real Madrid draw that. <laughs> That's a classic no, no. loss. Uh, Jorge Almiron yeah. is back as a new Elche coach. I remember his Elche team that were awful managed to get a, a 1-1 draw, I think, with Real Madrid a couple of years ago. It was a penalty miss or something. Um, he's playing a back five, no strikers. That was against Valencia. Like, this could be... The opposite kind of football match is the classical, very defensive, very tough, away from home. Um, don't be surprised if this is like nil-nil and suddenly this three points, six points um, is not so valuable. But right now it's it's huge, three points ahead in a league where both teams were looking on it and they have more important than anything is the head-to-head advantage as well. So Yeah, no, I, um, I was it you who told me or maybe it was Sam who was saying mm. that this is like, it was like the only the eighth time in history. Ah, yeah, we were saying this on Tuesday. Yeah, only the eighth time that going into a classical Barça and Madrid were first and second, and Tied. tied on points. Yeah, that's an that's unbelievable. Yeah. So like th- literally, this was one of the more significant ones in history because yeah, this was it huge. Like, always happen. Mm, you know, like this was. Like, we'll see what Atletico Madrid do. Like, they got a big win in Bilbao this weekend. But, like, it looks like this is a two-team title race this year. I thought they and were, I don't know. I don't. Can, I mean, they're only now... They one, can make a push, but I don't know if they can cover the ground of a title race. They're title only now race. one point behind Barcelona, interestingly enough. But, um, oh, really? Atletico, okay. yeah. I mean, they they win away. They don't win at home. Atletico are weird. I don't think this Atletico squad is capable of uh, being in the title race. So I, just, my, I think the squad is good, but... Mm. Uh, it's not okay. It's not as good as Real Madrid Barcelona, but it's a pretty damn good squad. Mm, the t- names on paper are pretty good. There's only about nineteen names. Uh, well, nineteen names. That's a lot of names. Yeah, Real Madrid and Barca have twenty five uh, players in their squad. Odriozola is not playing Hazard. It's not yeah, playing Mariano. Yeah, this playing. is a different. Like this, is a, this is a different debate. But like All you right. talk about squad depth, it's like Atletico. Like on their bench last night, had like you know like five players. Like. Atletico's first 11 maybe is as good as Barca Madrid, but I would say their squad depth is like, never mind the quality of the players that are backups, they just don't have very many backups. And in this season especially, that's not that's not going to cut it. But anyway, assuming we're ruling Atletico out of the, the title race, I think this year feels like a classic Madrid-Barca from like 10 years ago. And that makes the Classicos even more important than usual. Mm, yeah. Like... Next Classical, Real Madrid can kind of go into it and a draw is an amazing result. Last few years when Atletico were there, you can draw the Classical away at Camp Nou and it's almost like you've dropped two points compared to Atletico because they were still in the title races too. This year it seems a bit more head-to-head and to have won the first one 3-1, have a three-point lead, is uh, is huge. When you look at that schedule, Barcelona's mm. upcoming games, do you see anything? So Villarreal? Villarreal at home, Atletico at home. At home, they should... You imagine uh, when those games VRL and Atletic aren't actually doing that well either. But um, I mean, pff, to be fair, both Real Madrid and Barcelona have had sort of because people are talking. Oh, maybe this is a ninety-five hundred-point league. Look at them; they've both going into this. They've had um, 
Eight rounds, seven wins, one draw each. I still think it's possible, but... But look at who they played. Both Barcelona and Real Madrid. Neither of them have had too many tests. Real Madrid had the derby away. Uh, Barcelona really haven't had that many tests. Uh, Sevilla away, but this is a bad Sevilla. Mm, this is when the tests start to come up, you know. Um, you know, Valencia away is coming up for Barcelona. Real Madrid still have, you know, this as well. Like... These kind of... The second half of the season will also be more difficult because then you get Villarreal away and Athletic away is much harder than, all these, than all these kind Celta of, away as all well. All these kind of teams that aren't necessarily top teams but that they are difficult to play away. Like yeah. you just named them. like yeah. Celta, Real Sociedad, Athletic, Valencia. Yeah. Valencia might finish 10th but going to Mestalla is difficult for Barca and Real Madrid, you know. And that's, to be fair to Atletico, they've won already at Sevilla, at Valencia, at Bilbao... They've drawn at Real Sociedad. They've won at Atafi. That's another kind of... They're not good, but going it's away to Atafi is, yeah. is difficult. So, um, I think Barcelona and Real Madrid have both had relatively easy starts to the season. I think they will both drop a lot of points going forward. I think it will be about an 88-89-90 point league. But pff, I think it's so even this year between those two. Like Their kind of strength of schedule so far, what they have to come. So, taking three points... And this game is it's huge, like obviously. Valencia away, I'm calling it now. It's going to be Valencia are just going to miss like five open nets. For Barcelona away at Valencia, you mean? Yeah. Mm, right. And, yeah. and Barca is going to score like 95th minute and win that one. That's yeah. how it always goes on this side. That's, at least that's the stereotypical Valencia-Barcelona game in my mind. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm going to pull up my notes, but you, uh, you can just also blabber off whatever you think we missed. Well, I think we've done most of the game. We've kind of already done some of the post-match, Laporta. I don't know if there's anything else Xavi or, or Ancelotti said. I mean, they both had, obviously, all the Ancelotti quotes already up on, on Manager Madrid. He spoke a lot. They gave a lot more questions than a normal post-match press conference. Normally, they give four or five, but they gave maybe about a dozen questions. So um, there was time for him to speak about a lot of interesting things, which we don't need to go through, but, you know, Benzema Ballon d'Or, he had something on that, on Valverde, on Cruz maybe retiring, do they want to keep him? Uh, Xavi was, right. you know, kind of complaining. We spoke about his analysis of the game already, so I think this is kind of that's the classical recap. Yeah, I mean, uh, the... Wait, what did you say about Xavi? There was some well, was a quote in there from the press conference that you, you mentioned... Uh, about Chavi, uh, the one we spoke about before about maturity versus intensity. No, and... something else you just said. My mind blanked for some reason because I was I was mm. multitasking. But um, yeah, the only other thing I, I wanted to also be fair to Vinicius, because um, mm. uh, he did have a quiet game offensively, right? But sure. but again, he was but starts in... both the first two goals. Also, yes, you know? yeah, a, a moments player. I wanted to be. Yeah. I wanted to backtrack on what I said earlier, just to be fair to him. He was. He's a moments player. He'll always come good. He'll always contribute to the attack in key moments. Also worked really hard defensively. Mm-hmm. Like he was, there was in the second half when Dembele gets through. Ah, uh, yeah. is sprinting back. And just I saw everyone ball. going crazy about this, but like that was also 100% a foul. Don't care. Even if it's a foul. No, no, exactly. But, but that, like that... everybody was going crazy about this. It's like, like I kind of love it that like they love the hustle mm-hmm. because actually maybe if you're a real one, you'd maybe rather Vinicius didn't wasn't there and maybe just true many makes a good tackle and move on and don't well it looks like Dembele is about but, uh, to shoot uh, yeah no he does well to get back there it's 100% a foul that one but um, it's you're not wanting Vinicius to make you know like 
precision tackles. You just want, you just love the effort that he makes and the crowd goes crazy. You win the ball back, you know, um, that's what you want to see. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's the hustle more than the defensive skill with well, him. Well, and just that, um, I think from a tactical perspective, you know, with Bar- you mentioned that Barcelona didn't cross as much, and I think they only crossed like eight, nine times, maximum mm. ten. I, you know, but uh, in the in the past few games, there's so much of their gameplay was get the ball to Rafinha and Dembele mm. and let them do something from the wings and get the ball into the mm. box. They Real Madrid were able to limit that, mm-hmm. uh, and I think you know you got key contributions defensively on the left side to help Mendy from Cruz and Vinicius mm-hmm. and on the right side obviously you have Fede there and Modric there uh, which is which is obviously almost guaranteed a, a certain baseline of defensive help yeah. and that in and in combination with the narrow scheme with Fede tucking in on in, on defense you basically covered all your defensive zones the best best you could Mm-hmm. And um, so at least at least the zones where Barcelona are strongest and sure um, they couldn't play for the middle. They yeah, yeah. So I don't know what else to uh, necessarily scrape out. I'm sure there's there's only something we missed, but yeah. But um, yeah, we've got a few days now before midweek round of La Liga. I'm sure there'll be. Well, there's already I saw so much on the site already. Sam did six stats today instead of three. Haven't read them yet, but um, I saw that. Because it's classical. You've got to go bigger, better, bolder. Yeah. The post matches there's gonna be more than ever. There like you said, you've got Diego on tomorrow. Um Yeah. Yeah. So we also um we did something, we tested something out before mm. the game we went two hours before the game we went i usually only go one hour before the game because i don't mm. i'm kind of desensitized to the whole atmosphere at this point yeah. i just go one hour and i just take my seat we went two hours today because we wanted to try like kind of an arsenal fan tv version but just talk to real Madrid fans but better but but quite frankly quite worse <laughs> because we don't have their production value <laughs> True. And, and uh so we're gonna see we we interviewed a bunch of fans outside the stadium and we're not going to post all of them really depended on some of them were really really fun so we're gonna we have to go through and check out the video and audio footage after and and see what's worthy enough to post Mm. but we're, we're we're trying to like engage the fans more but what was cool about it was that i asked everyone i told them like look People aren't going to watch or listen to this until after the game. But what's your prediction? Let's see how it ages. Mm. And everyone said 3-1. Mm. Everyone said 3-1. I don't know if it was just like, oh, well, 3-1 is an easy thing to guess. Yeah. Or it was like, maybe there's like an omen in here. Maybe we should do this before every game and, and start mm-hmm. to see what the correlation is over like a long sample If you size. find the same guys as well uh, each time and you can do like a sort of league table, keep scores of them and, you know... Yeah. yeah, I don't um, think that's going to happen because these guys were, all, were here were for one, one off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, here for the weekend, but they're not there for Real Madrid versus uh, you know Cadiz or Cadiz. Yeah, uh, but yeah, well, uh, just to keep the listeners updated, we'll uh, we'll let you know when we post it because we'll probably post it on YouTube. And we'll post the audio as well. Any concluding thoughts? This is now or forever. Hold your peace. To reiterate, this is huge. You know, doesn't matter if it wasn't four 0 This is three points. For Real Madrid, three points off Barcelona and a good start to the head-to-head, which, remember, is how the tie-break is actually decided, not goal difference if it's if it stays that way at the end of the season. I was going to say it's, it'll be interesting to see how Barcelona bounce back from this, plus the Champions League failure, but more mm-hmm. importantly, how do Real Madrid bounce back from this? 
Do Real Madrid follow I, the classical win with loss to Elche? They or will do they that so many times. We were talking yeah. about before the game of what Real Madrid are like going into classical. Before. Definitely after classical, they uh, can do this. The one I remember most obviously was before COVID when they won 2 0 at the Bernabeu. Vinicius scored one. I think there was maybe an own goal or Mariano even. That was um, the that was the, in the last rain. one before the pandemic. That was like two rounds yeah. before the pandemic, and then the final round before the pandemic they lost to Betis, so they actually went into the COVID. Right, break that was the Barca. last game at the burn. That was the Mariano one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they beat Barcelona to go ahead in the table, and then the very next week ended up behind Barcelona again. So just be careful. It just means uh, Wednesday night, Elche Real Madrid. Mm, tune in. That that's actually quite a big one it is a big one mm-hmm. yeah you got uh, you got to you got to hold serve you know you win the classical you got to make it make it stick for sure well thanks uh for hosting as always no problem thanks to listeners for tuning in and we will catch you guys i think lucas and i are going to do a podcast tomorrow hmm. el dia después and then of course yeah diego and i with the the spicy churros episode tomorrow as well so thanks you appreciate no it thanks guys take care all right before we Put a bow on this and send you along on your way to enjoy the rest of your day. We wanted to give a quick shout out to our patrons over on patreon.com slash who do so much to support the show. And if you pledge $10 or more, not only do you get access to every single bonus content we put out like every other patron does, but you also get guaranteed responses to your questions and you get a specific shout out on the podcast. So shout out to these $10 plus patrons as follows. Brandon Alvarez, Willie Reed, Will Sousa, Wei Pering, Wamik Jamal, Tobias Royal Botcher, Tarek Goktas, Talib Salhab, Tahmid Kalam, Sushank Damala, Sujai Wani, Sumanchu Singh, Sheikh Hatiri, Shamil, Shabal Sharapov, Sergio Arispe, Santos Solorsano, Samuli Justin, Samer Z, Said Mahad, Sai Mohan, Sasi Kumar, Rodrigo Balmaceda, Rishi D, Phoenix, Peter Powell, Paulo Fierro, Patrick Odayafari, Oscar Barrera, Nico Laxo, Nicholas Zapatero Zubiare, Nicholas Moller, Mowgli, MJ Diego, uh, Nick Ribeiro, Michael Zinberg, Marin Myrtle, Matthew Atkins, Martin Ridman, Magnus Lext, Logan Stahl, Leon Stavernakis, Kunal Tilakar, Crystal Glass, Kevin Rivera, Jose Cruz, John Fernandez, Jeff Thurston, Jason Fitz, Ian Marley, Graham Gerard, Gary Cohut, Frederick Rantakiro, Frederick Sundros, Faisal Hamdan, S.A. Davisito, Eloy Enriquez, Edward Sossman, Daniel Williams, Con P. Christian Toth, Christian Acosta, Charles Williams, Brendan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Ashik Bashar, Armand Gashi, Armando L., Antons Rudenko, Anirud Singh, Ananya Kumar, Alex Steiberg, Al. Azaz Hussein, Adrian Rios, Adar Zalukovic, Adam Dorsey, Bella Chow, Varun, Ramtin Magrur, Fabian Moreno, and Daniel Smith. You guys are legends. Thanks for being a part of the family. We look forward to seeing you guys on many more future episodes and have a wonderful rest of your day. Hala Marir.